Hello and welcome to Habib Papam, episode 216, Adrian the Sixth. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. So, after last episode, the church was in full crisis mode with the Protestant Reformation off and running, and it was looking like the whole church in the Northern Europe was just going to unravel. And so, after a rather indulgent and ineffective Pope Leo X, the epitome of the Renaissance prince, so much so that he was actually de' Medici and thus actually a Renaissance prince, we skipped to a pious, strict, and reforming Northern European for our next pope. Today's Pope was born Adrian Floritz on March 2nd, 1459 in Utrecht, in what are now the Netherlands, but was then Spanish territory. His father was a carpenter and a shipbuilder, so this is not a Renaissance prince. This is not the nephew of a Pope. And when his father died, when Adrian was young, his mother sent him to be educated by a relatively new religious movement, the Brothers of the Common Life. The Brothers of the Common Life was a Dutch community which didn't take vows, but lived in common and worked for their food and practiced pious devotions, and this education shaped Adrian's personality and piety. In 1476, he entered the University of Louvain in what is now Belgium, where he studied philosophy, theology, and canon law, and eventually became a renowned professor and chancellor of the university. One of his students was the famous Erasmus of Rotterdam, one of the leading humanists of the time period. He likewise served as a parish priest during this time at the local church in Louvain, and his scholarly work was in moral theology, which uh, Ludwig Pasteur characterizes as, quote, showing extensive learning, but are the dry compositions of a bookworm, end quote. He had a reputation as being an upright and moral man, as well as being so well learned and wise that many sought his advice. And the Holy Roman Emperor entrusted him with being the personal tutor of his nephew and heir, the future Charles V. It was Charles's interest that caused Adrian to leave the Netherlands and head for Spain in 1515. His charge was to negotiate with the Spanish nobles to secure the throne of Spain for the young Charles on the death of his grandfather, the great King Ferdinand of Ferdinand and Isabella fame. Once in Spain, he met the Spanish Cardinal Jimenez Cisneros, one of the major counselors of Spain and confidant to the king, who took Adrian under his wing. When the king died in 1516, Cardinal Cisneros was proclaimed regent, and the two worked to ensure that Charles, who was already heir to the Holy Roman Empire, would also take up the Spanish crown, creating one of the largest worldwide empires at the time. Adrian was to remain in Spain and was appointed to various positions in Spain, including being ordained the Bishop of Tortosa in 1516, and in 1517 was recommended by the young Emperor Charles V to Leo X as a candidate for being a cardinal. On July 1st, 1517, he was named the Cardinal Priest of St. John and Paul, and he was kind of forced to take the position. He was not ambitious for advancement himself. As a cardinal, Adrian grew in his understanding of the need for reform in the church, which he worked on with Cardinal Cesaros, his patron. But when Martin Luther started writing, Adrian wrote back, arguing clearly and competently about the errors that Luther was preaching. When Cardinal Cisneros died, Adrian was the effective governor of Spain under the young Emperor Charles V, along with serving in his various ecclesiastical roles. Now, all this responsibility definitely took a toll on him health-wise. By now, he was 61 years old and struggling to govern a foreign country and address to the best of his ability the demands of reform in the church. It was while he was in Spain that Cardinal Adrian got some insane news. Pope Leo X had died on December 1st, 1521, and the conclave had met without him on December 27th, 1521. The conclave was deadlocked between the older and more pro-French cardinals and the young Giulio de' Medici, nephew of Pope Leo X, who was more pro-imperial. And as with many deadlocked conclaves, a compromise was proposed by Cardinal de' Medici. 
the holy, unambitious, reforming Cardinal Adrian, who wasn't there to say no. It was kind of a crazy decision. The people of Rome liked their popes to be Italian. Ever since the Avignon papacy, they were very wary of a non-Italian papacy. And this guy wasn't even French, but he was Dutch, which is basically the same country that Martin Luther came from. You know, it's all kind of the same up there. And on top of that, they weren't happy because he seemed to be the personal cardinal of the emperor who was going to rule through him. And then on top of that, he wasn't even in Rome. He was going to probably take a lot of time to get there. He hadn't ever been to Rome, it turns out. And so how could he be the bishop of Rome? Adrian himself was shocked. He didn't believe the first letters that reached him and wouldn't send out to Rome until it was confirmed indisputedly. He was the first non-Italian pope in 461 years, and he was the last non-Italian pope for 456 years. He kept his baptismal name and thus became Pope Adrian VI, the first and only Dutch pope, a poor workman's son who, through piety and learning, had become the successor of St. Peter. He wrote to a friend after his election, Dear friend, there can be no one who would not have been surprised who was not astonished at the cardinal's unanimous choice of one so poor, so well-nigh unknown, and moreover, so far removed from them as I, to fill the position of the vicar of Christ. To God only is it easy thus suddenly to uplift the lowly. Now once in Rome, Pope Adrian's strict piety provoked a lot of backlash from the worldly denizens of the papal court. He was harsh at times, disciplined, studious, and not very sociable, and he expected the cardinals to actually behave like priests and not Renaissance princes. As we heard last week, most of the cardinals were not chosen for their piety or learning, and they did not respond well to the new northern pope. He was fairly isolated for most of his pontificate, and the cardinals and the people of Rome were not fans. Now, waiting on his desk when he arrived was the situation in Germany. A diet had been called of German princes to meet at Nuremberg in 1522. The pope sent a representative to be present. He tried to get the German princes to agree to condemn Luther for heresy, while at the same time admitting that it was in part the excesses of the Roman Curia and the scandalous behavior of many which caused the rupture that Luther was leading. The German princes didn't respond as the Pope had hoped, and they did not agree to much, mainly because they didn't think they could really do anything to stop Luther. Luther, meanwhile, was becoming more extreme, renouncing clerical celibacy, changing the mass to look less like a sacrifice, and even threatening the dissolution of many monasteries. Pope Adrian also tried to get a former student of his, Erasmus of Rotterdam, to come to Rome and write a treatise against Luther, but he was unsuccessful in that attempt. His other major priority was to try and deal with the Ottoman Turks, who were continuing their advance on Europe by bringing about a peace between the Christian princes. As you know from the last couple episodes, there's just been war between different factions in Europe, primarily centered around northern Italy, but between the Holy Roman Emperor and the French and the Spanish, and they're all kind of fighting back and forth. And in the midst of all that, the Ottomans are just kind of moving in. The Ottomans had conquered the Greek island of Rhodes in 1523, which shocked the Pope and prompted a new need for a crusade to defend against their advances. The Holy Roman Emperor Charles V said he would help if the French did, but the French were only stalling for time, hoping that they then could invade Italy during the process, so the Pope got nowhere. The stress of being Pope did not help the already worn-out Adrian, and the fact that no one really supported his reforming ways, and they didn't win many friends by being by the book, added to his misfortune. He was isolated and alone. And yet, the picture of him as being harsh, reforming taskmaster is not altogether accurate. He was strict with regards to church teaching, but he was a kind man in normal settings. When he was a cardinal, one of his servants fell ill and was unable to ride, so the cardinal had him ride in the carriage while he rode on his horse, even though it was incredibly painful for him being so elderly. By the end of his first year as Pope, Pope Adrian VI was worn out. He fell ill in August of 1523, and he eventually died on September 14, 1523, in Rome. He was buried in the church of Santa Maria dell'Anima, and the inscriptions on the tomb tell you basically everything you need to know about his papacy. Quote, 
The actions of even the best men depend on the times he lived in. And quote, here lies Adrian VI, who thought nothing in his life more unfortunate than that he became Pope. He was succeeded by another Medici Pope, Pope Clement VII, and we will talk about him next week. Thank you for listening to Habemus Papam. You can find the rest of the Catholic Link podcast at catholiclink.org or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you and God bless you.